Hello, friend. Welcome to this episode of the Fulfillment Project Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Fennell. I have a co-host, Greer Wallen. You will hear from her very shortly. Greer and I run a paid community called the Aligned Sisterhood, and we do so much cool stuff in there every month. Uh, every week, we do somatic uh, body-centered therapy, really working on nervous system regulation, grounding, being inside our body, healing through the body in different modalities. We do a sister seat call every Every month where it's like a round table. We all come on, talk about the journey that we're on, the challenges that we're having, the wins, the tools that we're using to navigate life as it comes at us and as we grow through it. And we also do what's called a deep dive conversation where Greer and I research a topic uh, more in depth than what we have been through from like a healing perspective, along with bringing in tools and stories that we've used for the topics that we that we talk about and that we research on. And if you listened to the episode last week here on the podcast, you would have known that we released uh, one of our deep dive conversations and we had such great feedback. And last night, I'm at dinner with Greer um, for a, a mutual friend who's moving away. And there's like, you know, 10 people at this dinner. And I was saying to Greer um, earlier in the week, you know, I, I want to release another one of those deep dives because of the positive feedback we got, because it gives you so much value and information and research and tools and techniques. It's like a, it's like a whole training in and of itself. And I wanted to give you guys more value like that here on the podcast. And so we're at this dinner last night and I meet Chris for the first time. Chris, buddy, hey, I am shouting you out here on the podcast because I know you came across this podcast years ago. It helped you in your awakening. It helped you through so much growth and you have such an incredible story. Chris and I, uh, you know, got to chatting about a year ago. We had uh, like a coaching session earlier this year and then I finally met him at this dinner. And anyways, where I am going with all this is he starts talking about inner child healing and he starts asking some questions and he starts talking about, you know, one of the tools and the techniques that he's really started to dive into. And he's like, do you have any other like ways to do inner child healing? And I look at Greer, who's sitting across the table at me, and I was like, that's what we did a deep dive on. Maybe we should release this on the podcast. And then Chris sitting to my left, he's like, yes, please release that. So long story short here, as I am uh, winded <laughs> with so much excitement with sharing this with you, we want to release another deep dive conversation that we had inside the Align Sisterhood all on, yeah, you guessed it, inner child healing. And so if you've never heard of inner child healing, it is a, um, it's a really big cornerstone of shadow work, which is going into all the parts of ourselves that we have not accepted, that we've denied, that we've repressed, that we've um, judged on, that we've kind of like disconnected from ourselves. It's like, this is not me, or this is not a part of me, or this aspect of me is not accepted or lovable. And shadow work is really about integrating all of that so you create more wholeness and healing within yourself. And inner child healing is a part of shadow work. And if you think about a child, what kind of things come to mind in terms of like characteristics or qualities of a child? You know, they're very like outgoing and outspoken. They are unapologetic. They will demand what they need and what they want. They also need a lot of support and love and acceptance and nurturing for their survival. And so 
I'm going to make a generalized statement here, and I could be wrong, although I don't do not think that I am. Every child, all of us, at some point in our development, had situations where our needs were not met or fulfilled to the standards that at that time we thought they should have been met. So this could be something like, you were crying in your crib, you know, this is all subconscious because you weren't conscious at that time, you you know, you were crying in your crib and you wanted your mother or your father or your caregiver and they did not come. And there was a story that was created inside of you that you were not cared for or you were not loved or you were not worthy of, um, you know, receiving that care. And so I say this because that's an instance where you might say, well, Sarah, like, how could I have known as a baby that maybe, you know, my mother was sleeping and didn't hear me or there was something else going on? This is the point of inner child healing. There are instances where our needs have not been met or we haven't uh, had the teachings or the learnings or um, the guidance on how to emotionally regulate ourselves or how we're supposed to show up in the world. And so when all this stuff happens as a child and we don't have, you know, that adult brain and that you know cognitive awareness to be able to decipher situations in a logical fashion, our growth as a human becomes stunted. So, um, you know, our logical thinking, our, a lot of our emotional regulation, um, our attachment tendencies to other people or to partners or even, you know, with our family become stunted or dysregulated. And so the whole point of inner child healing is to see all of that, recognize it for what it is, uh, heal within yourself, uh, forgiveness, um, perhaps of people that were in your life or forgiveness of yourself for holding on to things, your emotional intelligence development, and really looking to bridge that gap between where your development was stunted as a child or where your needs were not met, where you felt love accepted um, and nurtured for to where you are as an adult, bridging that gap and creating that wholeness. This will create more peace. It will create more happiness. It'll create more joy in your life. It'll allow you to bring in more playfulness, not taking life so, so seriously to the point where we can't actually enjoy the fruits of our labor or what we've created or our environment or the people that are around us. So inner child healing, I could like literally ramble on and on about this, but I'm going to give you a whole deep dive on the conversation. It has been so profound for my own healing. Greer has a lot of stories to share from her journey as well. And we're really excited to bring you this deep dive that we hosted. um, It was quite a few months ago now inside our Aligned Sisterhood. And if you're a woman listening to this and you feel like you're on an awakening path, you're starting to see life differently, you're starting to see conversations differently, maybe you're feeling separated from your friend group or from your family group or coworkers, you know that you're waking up, you know that you're growing, you know that you want more, you know that you're developing, but you're kind of in this place where like, I feel like I don't belong, but I don't know where my people are. I want to have different levels of conversation, but I don't know where those people are. I feel alone on my journey. I'm looking for tools, resources, teaching, support, and community to help me elevate. This is what the Aligned Sisterhood is all about. And if it's something that you're interested in, um, shoot me an email. Um, There's a link in the bio. I'll leave you some information about it. Connect with me on Instagram. I'd love to have a conversation and see if this is right for you because we do so much cool stuff in the the, um, community. 
And like I said, there's so many cool uh, resources and tools and support from Greer and myself. And I honestly just love connecting with women and supporting them on their journey. And I've created this out of all the things that I wish I had back in like 2018, 2019 when I was really waking up. And so this has been such a labor of love to create and continue to facilitate for the women in this group to allow people to know that they're not alone and you know that they're on a beautiful journey and to give them the tools and support for that. So without further delay, let's jump into the deep dive on inner child healing. You are listening to the Fulfillment Project Podcast. My name is Sarah Funnel, your host, fellow sister seeker, and author of Follow the Joy, the book on aligned manifestation. This show is your spot for spiritual and personal development. It's your soft landing into a place for you to embody your truth and reclaim your sovereign power. I've been a coach for more than a decade, helping thousands of people transform their lives. And I'll be sharing the most effective and profound tools to help you step into the most abundant, joyful, and fulfilled version of yourself. I'm so glad we found each other here today. My promise to you is that this show will support you to live from a fully embodied and aligned space so that you can reach your goals, share your gifts with the world, and step into a life that is truly your own. Take my hand, dear sister, and let's jump in. Hello, welcome ladies. And hello, if you're watching the recording, I know it's summertime. I got messages from people. They're like, I'm away at the cottage. I don't have Wi-Fi, which is why we do these recordings. We upload them for you along with a document, basically recapping everything that we talk about. And this month, we are talking about inner child healing. Greer and I thought this would be a great jumping off topic from our last month's deep dive, which was shadow work. And if you remember, if you were on that call, inner child healing is a part of um, shadow work. And we were actually just chatting before we let you ladies in here about how we really enjoy inner child healing because it's tangible. It's actually one one of the areas that I went to first um, when I first started my healing journey. And I, I believe it was for you as well, Greer. Am I correct there? Probably one of the first. I know we were talking the other day about how we both like independently, but at the same time, we're working on working through our, our inner child journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just every sort of um therapy is, you know, leads to the same destination. Like it's all designed to heal ourselves so that we can live the happiest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. And if inner child healing is just one of the most tangible ways to do that for you, I would highly recommend going on this journey as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So throughout this conversation, we're basically going to what, you know, explain what is inner child healing. We have eight ways that you can identify the inner child coming out as an adult and ways for for you to be able to identify your inner child playing out. And then we have six tools or exercises to uh, help you work through your inner child. And Greer and I have lots of stories that we can share through this conversation as well about um, working through our own inner child. And so Greer, at the top of the document, um, I don't know if you have that open. If you do, let me know. You put a quote in there from Carl Jung that's so beautiful that I'd love for you to share if you have that available as we kick off this call. Yeah. So the quote goes, in every adult, there lurks a child. 
an eternal child, something that is always becoming and is never completed and calls for unceasing care, attention, and education. This is the part of the personality which wants to develop and become whole. Mm. Yes. And so basically what Carl Jung is saying there is, you know, all of us have that child inside of us. And so your inner child is that part of you that houses, you know, all of your, your wonder and joy and memories, but also like, you know, sadness, um, our beliefs, whether they're positive or negative beliefs, our fears, our hopes, and, you know, oftentimes our trauma. And trauma doesn't have to be like a big T trauma where there was abuse or massive neglect. It all depends on how you as a child were interpreting the things that were going on around you. And while, you know, a child doesn't necessarily have the intellect to be able to understand certain situations or uh, navigate certain things or interpret them in a way that an adult was, a lot of times our, our beliefs and the way that we see the world or the way that we react to certain situations um, can be stunted from how we interpreted things as uh, as a child. And I'll just jump off yeah. there. Basically, Sarah's using like the definition that Gabor Mate uses when describing trauma. Trauma isn't necessarily, well, it's not what happened to you. It's what happened inside of you as a result of what happened to you. So if you are looking at your childhood thinking, you know, it was pretty good. There was a lot of great things that happened. My parents loved me, you know, and there was a bunch of evidence for that. That's wonderful. We're, we're not here to like blame your parents, but that doesn't mean that along the way, something happened that really shook you as a child. And also in that definition would be, you know, things that were supposed to happen, but maybe didn't happen. You know, children need and absolutely deserve unconditional love and parents who maybe didn't get that model to them don't have the capacity to do the same moving forward. So anytime we didn't get that unconditional love, that can also sometimes uh, fester a wound. And as Sarah said, it's really hard when we are so young um, to be able to to process what happens to us. And so oftentimes, you know, children are very resilient whatever unresolved trauma just kind of gets stored and kept alive in us with the hope that as we grow and age and mature, we will find the tools and the techniques to be able to heal what we couldn't as children. Um, so inner child healing is therefore this um, model of therapy designed specifically to help resolve the wounds that you incurred in childhood um, so that, you know, you can move forward and you aren't repeating any sort of regressive patterns that you learned early on as the only way to cope with some of these things. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, you did a wonderful job mentioning, you know, like the, the wonder child archetype, um, you know, the wonder child is very, I mean, they're wondrous, they're, they're curious, they're optimistic, um, they are naive because, I mean, they're children and they are dependent, but um, in a healthy way. Like it's very healthy. It's very normal for a child to be dependent on their their caregivers. Um, they're very expressive, 
resilient, playful, unique, and, and, and so much love. And that is your inner child. And the only reason that your inner child might not be, be able to express all of its wonderful qualities is when we are carrying these unresolved wounds with us. Mm-hmm. And when we say, you know, wounds, it, it's, you know, an incident or even words or something we saw that was inflicted on us where we start to create safety coping mechanisms, you know, especially for the child who is so dependent on their caregivers for love and attention and uh, care. If it's not getting those from, you know, in some capacity, that means death to the child from a survival perspective. And so when something happens, when we're children, and we feel a need is not met, or there's been a violation against us, we go into this self-preservation. And there's there's so much growth and development and learning that happens as children and into our teenage years. But from my perspective, especially with the schooling system, there's there's nothing that teaches us emotional regulation. There's nothing that teaches us like about our emotions in general. And unless we had highly emotionally intelligent parents to be able to help us through, you know, some of the things that we went through, most of us grow up still having these survival instinct uh, type of coping mechanisms for when um, we get in an argument with someone or something happens or, you know, there's been an emotional disruption in our life as adults, we result back to almost that childlike behavior because there hasn't been development from that time when there was that initial scarring. Mm-hmm. And I think Sarah, that leads probably really well into ways that, you know, a wounded inner child can sort of show up in our adult life and, and sabotage our, our best efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the, the first one on that list is, you know, emotional acting out, but also, you know, emotionally acting in. So whenever, you know, you do have like a a hypersensitivity to a certain situation, a certain word, um, and the reaction you have inside is, would be characterized as disproportionately large, probably by other people to the situation. Um, and that's a really, really huge indicator of, you know, a a childhood wound and the acting out, it's not necessarily always, um, outwardly based. Like there could be a trigger and then you, you lash out, you get defensive, you, you yell, you scream, whatever it might be. It can also be like acting in as in, we will, something will happen and we'll, we'll punish ourselves. And one of the really cool examples is sort of like, so your clumsiness is sort of like a a subconscious way of, you know, acting in and against yourself. Mm. That's me just being fascinated with like psychoanalysts, but that's one of my favorite examples of, you know, ways in which subconsciously we work against ourselves. Yeah. Even things like um, anger, rage, that's all, you know, emotional acting out, um, you know, and when it's the dis- like what Grace said, that disproportionate reaction when someone overreacts or even, you know, as a personal example myself, I grew up, um, never heard my parents fight. 
Um, it was always like just very even keel in the home, but I, you could always tell when there was like something going on or if one of the kids got upset, like we would just be like hushed and like, don't show emotions. And then like, everything's fine. And my mom would go into like just a normal conversation after like yelling at us or getting in trouble and never really knew how to share emotions, express emotions. Everything was just suppressed. But to my parents, it, I guess it kind of looked like, well, we're not going to rock the boat and, you know, show the kids we're upset or argue in front of the kids. But now, you know, as an adult, I have struggled with um, hard conversations and, and I cry instantly. I start crying. And that is like my, my, my body's, you know, natural reaction just to like show that I'm upset. And I, I have trouble finding words and I have trouble expressing myself. And this is something I've been working on for years. Um, but whenever Joe and I would get in a fight, I would just like, I would cry. I would just like immediately cry. And I could, I would even go into almost like this freeze response um, where I couldn't bring myself out of it or even find words to navigate the conversation. And so part of my inner child healing like with this has been, you know, to, to soothe my body and, and do the somatic work, um, to be able to find languaging through hard conversations when that wasn't, that didn't happen when I was a child. I mean, I'm very similar. Like if, if, when I get too overwhelmed, I will cry when I'm angry, I will cry when I'm sad, I'll obviously cry. Um, because that sort of healthy conflict resolution was not modeled for mm -hmm. me. I think parents in their effort to not mess up too badly, think that like hiding conflict from children is going to help them. Yeah. And really, I have the total opposite view. I think that modeling healthy conflict for your kids is so important. So that way they can they can learn what it looks like. And they can carry those those tools and that method of resolving conflict into their adulthood instead of reverting to crying because something's wrong and we don't really know how to um, even say it. I know for me, like I would feel like a lump in my throat that I like physically couldn't speak um, yeah. before I started this journey. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. But even, you know, and, and I love that you had said, like, you know, we can't blame our parents or we can't shame our parents because their programming or modeling came from their own parents. And it's interesting, like understanding the tone that my parents gave the household. My mom came from a highly explosive emotional um, abuse uh, towards her mother from her father. And so I remember, I remember my mom saying she was waiting until she was like 17 or 18 years old until she could leave the house because it was just so volatile. And so I see that and I'm like, of course, she wouldn't want to give that to her children. So she swings in like the total opposite direction where there is no conflict and they don't talk about anything. And if there's hard conversations, it's definitely happened like away from the kids. And so it's, 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 highly valuable to look at like where your parents program came from and whether what they went through was passed down or even them trying to negate what happened to them and not pass it on to you can in and of itself not be beneficial if it's not done in um just a, a really emotional mature way mm. yeah so that's emotional acting out and acting in mm -hmm. the next sign is codependence and the simplest way I can describe codependency is essentially like a loss of self. Like you were so out of touch with 
your identity, your feelings, your needs, your wants to the point that you instead become dependent on someone else to tell you what they are. So an example might be if your your partner, your spouse comes home and they're super stressed, um, maybe they're even angry, they had a really hard day and they're frustrated, and then you become stressed and anxious and frustrated because of that. So you are looking to them to inform you how you should feel. Yeah. Um, that's like the simplest example I can yeah. I can give to illustrate this. It is, yeah, a huge disconnection with like, who am I to the point that you kind of meld with another person and depend on them for your sense of self. Yes. Even um, completely disregarding your, well, this is what exactly we said, but disregarding your own like authentic identity in a relationship. And I think relationships like show this so beautifully where, you know, maybe you only do what they want to do, or you become so involved in like their hobbies or so involved in like their friendships and where, you know, your own needs or desires, you don't even know what they are because you are so dependent on someone else giving you the identity of like what you like and like um, what your life will, will look like. Yeah. That's a really, really great example of just yeah. basically forfeiting who you were to. And I've done this. I've done this that, like Guilty. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like changed my whole friend group and it's all their group. And like, I just take on like what they like for music or what they want to do. And it's, it's when you haven't identified your own sense of self and what you like, and there isn't that strength in who you are and that confidence in who you are it's very easily to be molded um to fit someone else and you will see this a lot um and this brings me to like the third point but if you are in a relationship with anyone who happens to have an addiction alcoholism all of that and the third point is also ad- addictive behaviors uh you may have them them yourself uh because um if you go back to the deep dive that we did on addictions and and coping mechanisms, addictions at their core are sort of our best attempts at times to get our needs met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you look at children, you know, as children, we don't have these substances to be able to self-suit. We don't know about them. And so as if we move forward with this pain um, or with this sense of neglect, um, or a fear of abandonment or rejection. We'll get into that next there. When we come across substances, whether we're as teenagers or whether we're introduced to them in like the party scene, or maybe they're around from like a family member when our, and we talked about this in the deep dive, when our brains get hijacked by substances and they give you that sense of whether it's euphoria or um, numbness, uh, that reprieve from pain, this is when the, the brain will be like, I want that again and I want that again, just to keep yourself out of feeling those things that haven't been dealt with. Yeah, it, it's totally you know self-soothing. Yeah. And again, it, it's, it's definitely all of the substances. It's also behavioral addictions uh, like shopping, like gambling, uh, sex and porn, uh, eating, all of that stuff. It's just a, again, Sarah, you said this so beautifully, but a way to manipulate your brain chemistry to yeah. change how you feel. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, if you, you look at someone who is in addictive patterns there, it's, it 
it's just a child acting out. If there hasn't been that emotional maturity, if there hasn't been the healing, the introspection, the self-awareness as to what's going on, they'll just want to make themselves feel better and they'll do it in the quickest way possible. And sometimes at the expense of, you know, their own health or their own, um, needs and even, you know, sabotage their life. And we talked about all that in the addictions deep dive. And if you happen to have read in the realm of hungry ghost by Gabor Mate, he writes about this woman who he interviewed, like one of his patients and asking like, Hey, what is it like when you, you know, inject yourself with these substances? And she just says to him, it feels like a warm hug, Hmm. you know, that's really like you can imagine like her as a child not getting that unconditional love from a parent and then as an adult trying to find it somewhere that it's it's not but it it is a quick quick fix yes um our next point is a fear of abandonment or rejection um if anybody's taken our five wounds quiz or beginning the emails talking about the five wounds Abandonment and rejection are two of the five wounds. And this is more so like a fear of it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you were actually abandoned by a parent as a child or um, rejected by them in some big way. Uh, But as a child, if you felt that there was any type of emotional neglect or you didn't get the emotional support that perhaps you needed in a situation, there can be this ongoing fear as an adult of people leaving or people not accepting you or people, uh, you know, dismissing you from certain situations. And so this can lead to a lot of uh, isolation. Um, Fear of abandonment can lead to codependency. We were talking about that. Um, It can lead to a lot of like uh, self-esteem issues. And so if, there wasn't that emotional attachment with a child as a child will constantly be like seeking that in our adult relationships or the fear of someone leaving or dismissing us. And I'll just bring back something you said earlier, Sarah, which is to, to a child abandonment and rejection does mean death because, Mm -hmm. you know, you are dependent on your caregiver for absolutely everything when you're little. So when your need for survival sort of comes up against your need to be wholly authentic and wholly you and to attach with your, you know, caregivers, like you will, you will absolutely abandon yourself. You will reject your true self in order to get those needs met. Like authenticity. I'm sorry, I can live without authenticity right now, but I can't live without connection to my caregivers. And so you will do whatever you have to do in order to not be abandoned and not be rejected. Yeah. Um, As a personal example, I remember, I think I was in grade five, maybe six. And it was like, all of a sudden, my parents weren't helping me with my homework. Like every day we came home, we kind of sat down at the dining room table, you know, what's for homework. And my parents helped my sister and I out. And, you know, we're still very young at this point. And like all of a sudden it was like, there was no help with my homework. I was not allowed to be in the dining room. Both my parents were with my sister. And I remember there was like this six month period where I felt like I was isolated up alone in my room. Meanwhile, that was just me deciding to go do my homework in my room because the dining room wasn't an option. I remember calling uh, the kids hotline and I'm like, my parents aren't paying attention to me. Like there was like a good 90 minutes of the night where like 
I was like shunned from from interaction with them and my sister. And I only came to find out later on that my sister was having massive trouble in school. And I actually only just found out last weekend when I was um, home with my sister and my family for like a family reunion that my sister was diagnosed with ADD. I had no idea. But like as a young child, when it's like, oh, why can't I be in the dining room? And why can't you help me with my homework? And I like there were no answers coming to me because obviously as a child, I probably would not have understood that type of languaging. But then also, you know, my parents not really explaining things properly. And so these are the situations where, you know, it doesn't have to be some big catastrophic event, but how does that child or how did you interpret different events that happened in your life? And did you feel like there was you know, some, some neglect or some loss of connection with, with a parent at some point. And it didn't have to be for a long period of time. It could have just been like one instance, like here and gone, but your child brain uh, doesn't know how to process that. And so I definitely watched actions growing up of me, like acting out and me trying to get attention. And funny you say the clumsy thing, Greer, because like I was always like the clumsy kid and like um, just like kind of being like ditzy and just always like in front and like flamboyant and like wanting attention all the time. And I can see it coming from an instant like that where there was like a good six month period. where I'm like, what the heck? Like no one cares about me and no one cares about my school. And like, why does my sister get all this attention? And like, I hated her for it. Like I hated her. Um, but that just goes to show how the child interprets a situation that was only looking out for the the best awareness awareness uh, of my own sister, my my sister. And I think I could even say that, you know, even when we are kids and our parents do explain like why they are doing something that doesn't always necessarily translate to it yeah. being okay. Um, emotions don't really have to be rational all the time. And even if there is a good reason for something to happen, that doesn't necessarily mean that the feelings that we have about it change. And that's one of the things that I can imagine would be very hard to navigate as a parent. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, um, yeah. I it's was interesting having, I was going to say, it's interesting having yeah. kids. I'm, uh, you know, Joe has two kids, they're teenagers, and they've been in my life for over seven years now. And I know, you know, there's moms on the call when you have kids and when you dive into this work, it's almost like, <gasps> like, how am I going to fuck them up? Because I know I'm going to fuck them up. <laughs> I just, yeah, Carrie's like, yeah. And, and even, you know, you're doing your best, but I don't know how they're going to be interpreting this situation. And um, I don't think anybody gets out of this life without being, you know, being unscathed from something that we experienced as a child, even if our parents were doing their best. Yeah. Um, but the, the next one on our, on our list is trust issues, which a fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, they, they all lead to this, but I think Sarah and I really wanted to highlight this point because when there's inconsistencies in behavior for whatever reason, Sarah, as you said, even when it's a good reason, mm -hmm. um, we can, as children develop this sense of, of distrust, um, because, any type of inconsistency is just, well, why? And we don't know. So we tend to then see the world as very hostile, very dangerous. Um, same with other people. We assume that they will be as wishy-washy as like our early experiences were. Um, 
And that could lead to a lot of anxiety as an adult and can also lead to us wanting to control a lot of things because that sense of control leads us to safety. And if we think we're in control of our situation, then other people aren't going to do wishy-washy things. Um, it's almost like a, a crutch that, that we will prop ourselves up on when, when we don't have that healthy sense of trust in other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, our next one is thought distortion. And so uh, you can also look at this as like all or nothing thinking you're all in or you're all out or something's all good or all bad. And there really is no um, gray area for thinking or this space for nuance in, in our life. And it's just looking at things in very extreme ways. And again, this kind of, you know, just what Greer was saying with trust issues, this offers us, can presumably offer us this greater sense of control and safety, where if we know that this is good and this is bad and this is right and this is wrong, or I'm all in on this or I'm all out on that, it allows us to feel like we're in control and that we have this like good, safe ground underneath of us. Um, But it doesn't lead for any other interpretation or other um, grayer ways to be able to navigate life. Yeah. And this, this sort of thought distortion can look like, oh, he didn't text me. That must mean he doesn't love me and doesn't care about me. And absolutely (laughs) there is no other explanation. Yeah. Wasn't busy. Like it must mean like from here to here is where we go. Yeah. Or even, you know, thinking like, oh, this like always happens. Um, does something always happen? Uh, watching languaging with other people is really uh, interesting to be able to pick out thought distortions and the way that people actually interpret their reality. I feel like Joe probably helped like train you in, in that. He's so yeah. good at it. <laughs> it's funny. We were um, we were in Hamilton over the weekend. And there's a lot of lights and a lot of one-way streets in Hamilton. And we got a little lost and turned around. And we hit, we hit a couple of red lights and uh, Joe, he goes, oh, this always happens. I always get the red lights. And I look at him. I'm like, always. And he's like, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Just because we're so keen on like the languaging that we use. And so it's funny to point that out with one another, just to watch where he automatically goes. Um, Uh, Do you want to introduce our next? We got two more um, ways that the child, the uh, inner child can come out. So the next one is narcissistic tendencies. Um, And I know the word, you know, narcissistic narcissism has a a pretty heavy connotation, but with all of these things, they operate on a spectrum and it's actually very healthy and very normal for every child to be very self-centered. They have to be, they need to be loved unconditionally. They need to get all of their needs met. They are really, you know, because they are so dependent on other people, it's like, me all the time. And even going back to infancy, um, and Sarah, you talk about this in your book that the child doesn't develop its sense of self until like right away. Every child is a we before they are an I. They are so deeply connected with with everything in the world around them. When they are hungry, everyone's hungry. When they move, the world moves. Um, so anytime that our caregivers didn't you know provide that ongoing compassion and support and understanding and 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 we were deprived of that we're then you know 
going into adulthood being like, I can only look out for myself because I need to get all of these needs met and I need my sense of self validated by all of these people. Um, that sort of, if we want to look at the root of like true narcissism um, in the clinical sense, this is sort of a really awesome way to explain it and show the roots of how that comes about. Yeah. It's almost like there's this, like, you're insatiable as an adult. So there can be, you know, like compulsive behavior, like, you know, just craving attention, um, this like insatiable need for love and connection, um, just in an attempt to try to fill this uh, void that has happened. Uh, I can even see this in myself in my early 20s. Like, I loved love. I was addicted to lust, basically. And I always loved the beginning of a relationship. And I hopped around from relationship to relationship. And as soon as I felt like the relationship went flat, meaning like, you know, you fall into like a normal routine and it's not so like honeymoon phase anymore, I'd get bored. And I would need this like rush of, you know, all those endorphins and those feel good uh, chemicals that run through us all the time. And it wasn't until like probably my early 30s when I really started to recognize that and work on that. Um, and it might come, go back to that situation I was talking about where it kind of just felt like this like attention went off of me and this like compassion and this care went away for this period of time. Um, and there was this void that I needed to fill. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and our last point is apathy and, and emptiness kind of going along with what I was talking about, you know, that void. There's this uh, feeling of emptiness and disconnection. And, you know, really when we get into this state, we sacrifice our authenticity to get our needs met. And so, you know, Greer, you were saying earlier, if we feel like the care and uh, support and safety has been taken away, like we will neglect ourselves as child, we will mold ourselves, we will chameleon ourselves um, in every which way as children and as adults to feel like we are uh, cared for and, and that we have that safety. And so when this happens and we don't have that identification of self or we know who we are, there can be this huge emptiness inside of us. And then again, would come probably, you know, addictive behaviors and, you know, uh, gambling, sex, blah, 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 in order to try to fill this emptiness from the outside. But as we know, through all of our conversations here in the sisterhood, healing always happens on the inside and we will always continue to have a void until we actually take a close look at these things as to where is that void coming from and how do we begin to heal that wound? Yeah. I mean, you said that so beautifully that it really is that loss of connection to self and to, mm. to our authenticity. And so everything we do in terms of inner child healing, uh, really involves, as you said, nurturing ourselves from the inside out. You know, it's not filling that void. It's really going into the void and seeing, okay, what was missing and what do I need now in order to be okay? So a lot of the times inner child healing, we refer to it as, you know, inner child reclamation. We are reclaiming our inner child um, sometimes referred to as reparenting our inner child because you are now an adult and we hope to very soon provide you with the tools and techniques that you can use to 
reparent and nurture that inner child that maybe didn't get all the things that they needed when they were little, but they can have them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll go into some tools in, in just a minute. I think it's important to note of just really having awareness. And, you know, you talked about kind of going into the void. And one of the things I found really helpful for me is, was like sitting in the awareness, like sitting in the awareness of compulsive behaviors, like sitting in the awareness of feeling empty, um, feeling that apathy, um, sitting in the awareness of the inner child, like wanting to come out, wanting to act out to really get to understand yourself and understand your parent uh, patterns. And I find like once we can really see the inner child and once we understand the inner child, uh, this is when we can use our tools and we can use the things that we're going to talk about here in just a moment um, to be able to help heal that inner child and give it what it didn't get at that time and and what it needs now in order to find wholeness within itself, um, devoid of of our parents. And, And that's the real key here is, you know, we don't need our parents to be able to help us heal now that we're adults. It's that reparenting, like what Greer just said, of ourselves so that we give ourselves what our parents could not give us at the time, whether they had good intentions or not. And, and I will also preface this next section with, um, you know, not to get stuck trying to dig up every last part uh, of the past in order to look at it and assess it and heal it, you know, so to all my fellow perfectionists, this is not your call to go on some extravagant archaeological excavation, leaving no stone of the past unturned. Um, I know when I started, that was very much like, I'm going to do this perfectly. I'm going to spend all of this time and all of my energy just going through every last detail of my life. You're such a go-getter. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you want me to do this? Cool. I will do it to a T. Okay. I'm going to look at everything. Um, But you do have to catch yourself because you are always accumulating past and you don't want to get so caught up in this that you're spending your whole life living in it. Um, As we sort of mentioned, you know, when, when we are carrying these, these wounds from our childhood, they are alive within us and they are here in the present moment. So Sarah, I think that you said it so beautifully when you were like practice awareness, you know, all of those, those wounds, anything that needs healing is going to show up now. Mm -hmm. So if all you ever did was, was practice awareness, you would know everything that you needed to know. And every place inside of you that needed your healing and your attention and your love. Yeah. Um, which I think is beautiful to lead us into our, our first uh, tool or technique here. We have six of them for you. As the awareness is coming up, it's so important to practice self-compassion. You know, we need to learn to treat ourselves like end our inner child with such kindness and such unconditional love that we just so desperately wanted growing up. And so what this really means is as you're seeing the inner child and as maybe you're recognizing patterns of uh, behavior or thought or words is just to really understand and have patience with yourself. And this means, you know, not with any judgment or not with any punishment, 
just see it for what it is almost in that observer seat of like, you're observing your inner child coming up and there's compassion and there's kindness and there's understanding and there's patience for that side of you that just wants to be uh, so desperately loved and healed. Mm. And, you know, also not putting time constraints on your healing. Uh, I know when I started, I was like, cool, this will probably take me like a month. <laughs> uh, I grossly misunderestimated. Still, still a work in progress. Still a work always. in progress. You always, know, always. You know, we, we, I still go back to that, um, to that, that type of model of therapy. I, you know, it, it really does work for me. It really helps me to understand myself and it definitely is ongoing um, because sometimes it is easy to, you know, slip into old patterns and it's all about, you know, catching yourself and going, oh, and, and, and as part of the self-compassion, apologize to yourself, mm. you know, be like, Hey, I really didn't mean to do that to you. And I'm sorry. And I'm, and I'm here and I don't ever want to leave you or abandon you or neglect you ever again. And a lot of that self-compassion actually goes into our next point, which is the goal with this is to create um, safety within yourself because a prerequisite to being you know you and living in your authenticity is feeling safe enough to express it and it's possible that your childhood where it wasn't safe to be truly you because maybe you were told that children are to be seen and not heard from um maybe you were only accepted when you were you know nice and kind and 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 pleasant and and your parents didn't want to deal with you when you were frustrated or sad or tired or or cranky um so in order for your inner child to come out sometimes and to voice their opinions and their wounds and their thoughts and 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 their feelings and their needs they need to know that you as an adult are safe and that they are safe enough to be every aspect of of who they are which is why Sarah you were like without judgment without punishment me adding without a timeline, um, allow that inner child to, you know, um, speak up. Yeah. And this is the whole purpose for the sisterhood, for us to have a space, to have these conversations. You know, I always say to you guys, um, in our, um, specifically our sister seat, like all of you is welcome. There's been laughs, there's been tears, there's been, you know, upsets and happiness. And, and that's what healing is. I would uh, also, our somatic work on Thursdays is a great place to create safety for yourself, um, allow your nervous system to feel that sense of calm, to feel that safety. And so there's many different ways for you to be able to find that container of safety, um, whether it's by yourself with somatic work or whether it's here in the sisterhood, um, whether it's uh, developing a really good, close group of girlfriends, which has been transformative for me. It's something I've very uh, consciously worked on over the last three, four years, um, and it's continuing to grow. Greer, welcome to my friend circle <laughs> over the last year. But finding um, other women or men, um, you know, there's whatever is going to allow you that space to be able to have conversations, to be able to speak without having judgment on you and for people to even hold that sense of space for you just to be. I know in my past friendships, 
you know, maybe I would complain about something and then like they would complain about something. And again, I was showing up as a very different person in those conversations, but a safe space is not some, not something to be, um, one upped on in conversation. It's not a space where it's like, oh yeah, me too. And blah, blah, blah. Um, safe spaces are just your space to be held, um, and to be heard, um, and to be seen in, whatever way is expressed from you at that moment. And so there's many different ways that we can create safety, but first and foremost, it's you allowing yourself to find those uh, spaces of safety, which leads us into our next point, um, which is nurturing your inner child and to nurture your inner, inner child. It needs to feel safe. Um, I found when I started inner child healing, um, doing a lot of things by myself, um, was very, very helpful. And so this can be just practicing self-compassion, like in a really safe environment. Um, what's also really important for the inner child is that childlike wonder, that no concept of time, that uh, playfulness, that creativity for your child to come out. And so, you know, play games, jump in puddles, go make a pile of leaves and, and kick through it, uh, sing, dance, explore color, uh, watch movies from your childhood or, you know, um, movies that bring you joy. Anything that allows you to get back into that childlike wonder is so key. I remember for myself, I actually, I went and I like jumped in puddles and I take myself on like child, uh, my inner child dates, like I'd go for a hike and maybe I'd like cut off the trail and be like, oh, this tree looks cool in here off the trail. And I would just like blaze my own way uh, to whatever I wanted to see. And you kind of, I like to look at it like stepping out of the boundaries of being a quote unquote adult. So allowing yourself to have fun, allowing yourself to play, allowing yourself to get lost in time. Um, I was called no fun zone in our house for so long. I had such a resistance to fun and play. And if anybody knows my partner, Joe, he is all about fun and play and excitement and he's loud and, you know, he makes all sorts of games and has so much fun with the kids. And it took a while for me to break down this sense of, uh, uh, <sighs> seriousness like life always had to be serious and I couldn't have fun. And, uh, you know, there was no time for play. A really, uh, another sign of uh, your inner child, like feeling trapped inside is that sense of like rigidityness, uh, rigidness, uh, that sense of seriousness that you can't play, that you can't have fun, that there's always something to do and that you always have to be adulting. That's a really big sign that your inner child has been stifled. And that was like a huge sign for me. So this nurturing your inner child, I find it's one of the most like practical and like action-based things that you can do for inner child healing is just to like play and have fun and find activities. And honestly, like go jump in puddles next time that it's raining out. You'll feel silly and you'll feel fun and you might feel resistance. But like as soon as you start doing it, you're like, fuck yes, <laughs> like this feels good just to like let go and relax and allow that fun, playful side of yourself to come out. And I would just say that like when you start this, it might feel weird. Like it might feel weird to try and re-engage into play because you've been maybe a little stuck in adult seriousness for so long and you have this preconceived notion that now that you are 
a grown up, you aren't any part of, of the child that you used to be. And it's just this particular way of looking at it through archetypes is beautiful because it it teaches us that we always have that child inside of us and the child always wants to play and come out and wants to feel safe and wants to explore and is super creative. So it definitely might be a little bit of stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, and it's important to, to remember that this is a way for your inner child to express itself. So it's not like you, the adult, showing up and being like, this is how a child should be doing things or a child wants to just color or a child wants to do this. Every child is different. And so your inner child is no exception. Um, You will, through maybe some trial and error, you might be like trying to hold a little kid's hand and be like, do you want to jump in the puddle? It's okay if you want to, because maybe they never had permission So a lot of this nurturing is like permission to express, permission to get curious and explore the world. And it's more like you, the adult, guiding and opening the door for that to happen. Yes. And I like that you mentioned the the resistance piece of it. Even, you know, ladies, like when you're home alone or by yourself, like put on some music and see if you will, if your body will allow yourself just to like dance and even like in, you know, motions that aren't necessarily like choreographed or like dance movements, but just see how much you will allow your body to move with the music as it feels like it's what it wants to move. And I found like, that was something for me too. Like I'm home by myself. No one's around. No one can see in the windows. And I, it was so hard for me just to get myself to like, you know, and just dance. And there's so much of our inner child that can just be stifled down. And like what Greer was saying earlier, you know, maybe as a child, you were told, you know, to be quiet and you needed to be good. And there was like a reservation that was needed to come over you in order to be accepted. And when that happens so much as a child, we forego such of our natural playful instincts that we can still have in adulthood. Uh, The next one is something that I did that I found to be hugely helpful and incredibly powerful. And that is picture meditations. So how this kind of works is you go through, you know, all of the stages of childhood, infant, toddler, preschool, school age, and then your adolescence and you grab a picture. So you would start this by getting a picture of yourself as an infant and you would set a timer for like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, And for the duration of that time, you stare at the photo. And with with a pen and paper, you write down everything that comes to mind. You write down everything you see, you write down everything you feel and where you feel it in your body. Um, you know, what's what you write down the thoughts you are having, the emotions you're having, and like even some of the detail in that photo, you'd be amazed at what you can see after looking at a photo for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and it's a great way for you to sort of realize that that photo, the, the, the individual in that photo is still you. And so with all the love and with all the kindness that you would treat these, you know, the the people in these photographs is all the love and the kindness you need to, to treat yourself. And I found it helpful to space these out because they could be quite intense at times. 
um, and, you know, two to three sessions per photo. And then once I was done with like my infant photo, I would go on to my toddler photo and just work my way through. And it's interesting to see, you know, how differently I thought of myself maybe at the time, uh, particularly like during adolescence versus how I now think of my adolescent self. Um, and it's just a really great tool uh, to use. And, and if any of you ladies do decide to do picture meditations, let me know. I would love to hear your experience about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just introduced me to this um, as we were putting together this topic and it's something I definitely want to dive into. It sounds fascinating, even just with thinking about myself in those different stages. Um, I'm curious to see what comes up for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, our second last one is sharing your feelings. And this really comes back to ensuring that we have a, a safe space to share our feelings if expressing yourself um, emotionally and, and what's happening inside has been hard for you, you know, you might want to, you know, talk to a, you know, a coach or a therapist, again, finding a, a good group of friends or, you know, here in the sisterhood on our sister seat calls, a way for you to express yourself where you feel heard uh, is so important to help us process and make sense of our experiences. Sometimes it can be difficult to put how we're feeling into words since emotions are so uh, nuanced in all their ways and in all the waves and fluctuations of things that we feel. Sometimes just having that outlet to speak and it maybe it doesn't make sense and maybe you're bouncing all over the place, but just expressing how you're feeling can give such a liberation to the psyche, um, to your emotional body, to your physical body, uh, just to get that out. Uh, Repressed feelings, I don't think I need to really say this, but, you know, repressed emotions definitely come out in in other ways. And so if the child didn't feel heard, um, if it didn't feel seen, it will act out as we talked about in those ways that our inner child does come out. So sharing your feelings is is so important. Mm -hmm. And to all of my verbal processors out there, it it is a really great way to work through some of the the harder things, because when you talk to someone, maybe they have a vocabulary that can help you really pinpoint exactly what it is you felt and what it is you went through. Um, And that can help your healing as well. Um, And the last one that we have on this list is letters of, of forgiveness. So I know we just said that it can sometimes be hard to put your feelings into words, but this is really about writing letters to your inner child and maybe from your inner child to you expressing um, all of the thoughts, all of the feelings, even if you can't pinpoint exactly what it is, even if you don't have language, you can just say, you know, it feels really weird inside. It, It feels dark inside, like however you are able to get something onto paper Um, And it's also a great way to tell your inner child the things that you wish you had heard growing up. And I cannot stress how important it is, even though, you know, like you might say, oh, the past is the past and and the present is now. But like I said, those wounds, you carry them with you. They're alive inside of you if you still have them. And the words that you need to hear are still just as powerful now as they would have been then. Mm -hmm. 
I see that as a really like that one, the letters of forgiveness, like you to the child and the child to you, like a key part of that reparenting process that you were talking about earlier. Um, I, I know for myself, like there are so many things that I wanted to hear, or sometimes you're still trying to seek validation in other areas that you didn't necessarily get. And when there is this, that void that we were talking about, only you can fill that void. We can't expect a parent to come forth now or a partner to give us maybe what we didn't get as a child, but we ourselves are that doorway to our own healing. Yeah. And, and you could even extend this and I would, I would encourage this, that you could extend the letters of forgiveness to your parents, um, to anyone who may have hurt you growing up saying like, Hey, I, I have learned all about the inner child. I understand that you were only doing this because of the programming that you had. And I forgive you. And Sarah, as you said, forgiveness is, is the doorway to, to healing. And you don't need to give them to a parent. They're not for anyone no, else. They're, they're not, they're not for like, don't actually give this to your parent. They may not be in any way, shape or form able to receive this. Mm-hmm. It is purely for you. Mm-hmm. That's thank you. Yes. Yes. Purely for you. You can burn it. You can bury it. You can keep it, you know, do whatever you wish to do with that. I know we talked about letter, uh, forgiveness letters as well when we did the shadow work as a whole. And I think forgiveness letters from so many different perspectives are so important because it's what we hold on to that causes us the most pain. And so being able to release that creates that um, that space and that healing inside of us. And I think it does go without saying that this is not a one and done process. You know, it's I started this. Greer, we were talking about this this week and I said it was 2021, but I really think it was 2019 when I first started working with a therapist, um, breaking that child parent um, relationship I had with my parents. Because so many, so many of us don't do that as adults. We still have the same language patterns, the same behavioral patterns with our parents as we did as children. And so like breaking that relationship of like, I am a sovereign adult, they are a sovereign adult, and then being able to look back on the experiences really helps me start the inner child. But then, yeah, it was in 2021 where I actually dove into inner child healing and a lot of the stuff that we talked about here today, and it's still coming up. Like it's it's still coming up. It's kind of like you remove a layer and another layer shows itself in different ways. Thank you, Carrie. We'll see you. Um, yeah. And it takes a lot of love and courage and self-compassion to be able to look at yourself this way and look at your child this way, your inner child, and also look at your parents this way. Sometimes, you know, the things that happen to us are painful to say the least. And so, you know, I commend every single one of you who goes and, you know, like faces the the painful memories and you know the pockets of hurt that are still inside of you it takes a great amount of courage a great amount of bravery um and so much love and compassion as well mm-hmm. but like we said it it's one of one of the best doorways to healing that we have found and i just want to highlight two extra resources for anyone who might need them there is an absolutely fantastic book uh, that walks you through a lot of what we we talked about. He goes um, 
step-by-step through your childhood from infancy to adolescence and really walks you through a lot of these, a lot of these practices and it's called homecoming and it's by John Bradshaw. Additionally, there is um, a YouTube channel dedicated to, you know, reparenting. There are tons and tons of videos. Uh, This man, uh, Tim Fletcher, he just so many videos on reparenting and you can just put them on, you can learn and you can take that information and integrate it into whatever practices you choose to use. Right. Um, and, and we can link those. those yeah, things. I was just about to say, I'll, I'll hook up his YouTube channel to the the post I'll make with this video and um, a link to that book um, as well. Wonderful. Thank you, ladies, for, for joining us. Thank you, Greer, for joining me. Uh, I love these deep dives. Um, we have the Sister Seat call coming up in two weeks. If you dive into any of this work, we would love to hear about how your journey is. Um, and anything that's coming up for you on that call. And we'll be having our integration and reflection questions as well coming at the end of the month that are around this as well. Yeah. Great. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, ladies. We'll see you.